the greatest legacy that one can pass on in life is not money or accumulated possessions, but rather, the greatest legacy to leave is a legacy of faith. Good morning. Welcome to Life Church. You guys excited to be at church this morning? All right. Nice, nice. Uh, like like uh, Dustin said, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my honor to be able to kick off this series called Legacy. Uh, pastor Aaron is actually, uh, he's probably sleeping right now. I don't know, you know, he's like 12 hours ahead. He's in Southeast Asia on a missions trip with some pastors there, and so I know some pretty cool things that he's going to be sharing over the next couple weeks, but I will not steal uh, his thunder on that. Uh, today we're starting this brand new series called Legacy, and really if I were to look at, there's a lot of different verses that we could use as kind of like a, a theme verse for this series, but one that's very simple, very to the point, is found in Psalm chapter 112, verse 6. You don't necessarily need to turn there, it's going to be on the screen, but it simply says this, a righteous man will be remembered forever. A righteous man will be remembered forever. Forever. That's really the heart of what legacy is all about. It's not about living forever. We all know that that's impossible. But it's about living our life in a way that leaves something that does live forever. It's about how we'll be remembered when our time on earth has come to an end. And so the question for us today is, what are you leaving behind? And this, this isn't just a series about uh, financially what are you leaving behind, although yes, that is a big part of it, but it's more than just that. It's what are, how are you leveraging your life, your time, your talent, your treasure? We talk about those all the time. How are you leveraging your life for the good of other people so that it leaves a legacy that lives on beyond your life? Uh, quick show of hands, how many people in the room you would identify with this, this statement? I hate being unprepared for something. Raise, raise your hand. Okay, yeah. So I know that I'm in good company today, that there's a lot of people that are just like me. Um, I can't stand. The, the feeling of being unprepared for something is enough to drive me to do crazy things to make sure that I am prepared uh, in the future. Um, as, and this is something that goes back to me being a little kid. I, I have an older brother, and we couldn't be more different on this because he just, he's just a go-through-life-and-wing-it type of a guy. I am have-it-all-structured-and-planned-out-ahead-of-time type of a person. And so, uh, you know, as a kid, my parents would tell me stories that when I was like five, six years old, I would make sure that I, 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 the fear of missing the bus just was something I just wanted to make sure I never missed the bus. And so I would like lay out my clothes the night before, um, but not just lay them out, like lay them out on the floor in the shape of a human, you know, like... Um, take it a step further, like I would put the sock up into the pant leg and into the shoe, okay? That doesn't even save time. I, I don't know, you know, but it just, I wanted to make sure it was all set. I would actually scare my parents every once in a while because they'd walk in and, you know, like Ferris Bueller's Day Off style, there'd be some, you know, is there somebody on the ground? Um, I would, uh, you know, I, I would set multiple alarm clocks, you know? I, who as a six-year-old sets an alarm clock? Yeah, but I would set like the one that plugs into the wall, but what if the power goes out? So I'd set a watch as well and uh, just crazy stuff. I would set my toothbrush out the night before and put toothpaste on it. 
Because that three seconds, you know, I just want that, that could be valuable time that I could miss the bus off of that. Um, and, and perpetually throughout high school and college, do you ever have like a recurring dream? Um, maybe even like a recurring nightmare? Mine, the, the only one that I've really had, had to do with showing up at school, realizing that there's a test and being completely unprepared for it, like I didn't, I didn't study for it at all. I had that dream multiple times through high school and college. I mean, that, that, that feeling of being unprepared and I could tell you story after story, I'll tell you one more quick one, um, that as an adult, just like three weeks ago, I was at a minister's gathering, so there was like probably 100 pastors from around the area, um, and we got together, and uh, I show up, and I sit down, I was with Pastor Aaron, we're both there together, and everybody, before the meeting starts, like a minute before, they have a packet sitting in front of them, except for me. I noticed Pastor Aaron has a packet, and I don't, and I'm trying to like, what is that all about? And then the speaker starts speaking, and he says, I hope you had a chance to take the assessment before you showed up today, because the next three hours are going to be about that assessment. And I'm thinking, what assessment? I mean, this is totally uncharacteristic for me. I'm, I'm looking through my emails, because apparently it was emailed, and I'm like, I'm telling you. I did not get this email. And so, and everybody else is like, yeah, right. You know, you didn't get the email. You probably delete. I'm like, no, I did not get the email. I'm the only one. And so the next three hours, we split up into groups and have to talk about our results. And I just feel like the whole time, I'm like, yeah, I didn't do it. I'm unprepared. Like, I just felt like an idiot the entire time. And just, I, I can't stand that feeling of being unprepared for something. In fact, I used to preach with an iPad. I stopped doing that because one time I was preaching, the notes freaked out in the middle of the sermon. And I was like, ah, I don't, so I'm like, I got to print it from now on. I'm going to go digital on everything else except for, <laughs> except for this. And so um, I don't like that feeling. And I bring that up because According to scripture, that there, there will be a test at the end of our life. And when we get to heaven someday, there will be two questions that will be asked of us. It's a two-question test. And the good news is, you ever get one of those tests that you get the answers, ahead, or get the questions, rather, ahead of time? I loved when teachers would do that and professors would do that because I'm like, man, I love at least knowing that I'm in the right ballpark of what I'm studying for. And that's the kind of test that we'll get in heaven someday, and the Bible makes it very clear that there are two questions on that test. The first question is, what did you do with Jesus? And we won't spend a ton of time on this today, but it kind of sets us up for where we're going. What did you do with Jesus? This is the, uh, most people think that this is like the one question that you're going to be asked in heaven, but there's actually a second one. But this is the first question that you're asked. And this is uh, what theologians call the great white throne judgment. That's the, the, the phrase that's used for it. This is a question that has to do with heaven or hell. Did you accept Christ into your life or did you not? And Jesus alludes to it in, in Matthew chapter 7 that there's going to be a lot of people that think that they are going to get this question correct, but they're not. In fact, he says it like this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's one of the most sobering scriptures in the entire Bible because it's like, man, how am I doing with that question? Am I, am I gonna be able to answer that question 
correctly. And we believe according to scripture, according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, the Bible says we'll be saved and that we're, we're going to be able to answer that question and say, yeah, I, I decided to follow Jesus and I, I, I'm not perfect, but I decided to put my faith in a God who is perfect. And so that's, at Life Church, that's a huge part of what we're all about, is making sure that as many people are able to answer that question well someday. But that's not really the focus of this series. The, the, the focus of this series is really more about question number two. And there will not be a question number two if you don't answer the first question well. Uh, but question number two, a lot of times people dismiss it or they don't really think that there is a second question. Uh, but it goes like this. What did you do with what he gave you? What did you do with what he gave you? This is what they call the judgment seat of Christ, and it's a second judgment that will take place after you've gone into heaven. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, there's actually a lot of verses on this, but I'll give you a couple. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Matthew 16, uh, 27 says it like this, for the son of man is gonna come in the father's glory with his angels and, when he will, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. There's other verses, Revelation twenty two twelve, Romans 14, 10 through 12. There's, there's many of them that they talk about how you live your life on earth matters in heaven, that there is a reward that will take place because of how you lived your life on earth. And a lot of people confuse the two questions. They think how I answer number, question number two has to do with question number one. It says, no, 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 there, it, you can't earn your way into heaven. That, that's simply a thing that you put your faith in Christ. That first question is not about what you do, but the second question is about what you do, and there will be a reward. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know exactly what that reward looks like. I don't know exactly what that means. All I know is I want to be prepared to take this test. I want to be prepared to answer that question well. And at Life Church, we want to prepare you for, for both questions. And so in this series, we're really going to focus on that second question. How are we living, living our life? Are we leveraging our life? Are we leveraging our time, talent, and treasure so that we're able to answer that question well and say, God, I, I stewarded what you gave me in the best way that I knew how. I'm, yeah, I'm not perfect, but man, I really tried every single day to make sure that it wasn't just about me, but I, I put others first. And so the question for us today is, how are we doing with that question? How would we answer that question? Um, uh, there's a lot of scriptures we could turn to that give advice and give, um, give uh, you know, the biblical perspective of how, a, what a good answer would look like. But I want to turn to one in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, so if you have your Bibles, that's the, the scripture we're going to be in for the rest of the day today. We won't even go anywhere else. We're going to spend all our time there. 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor, and he is, uh, he is leading a huge church in Ephesus. And so Paul is, is writing to uh, encourage him. He's writing to give him advice on how to lead the church in Ephesus, and he's giving him a lot of wisdom. He's saying, man, I've, I'm a little bit further down the road than you, and I just want to give you some, some wisdom today. And so he tells him specifically how to address this, this issue, this question of how do we live this out? How do we leave a legacy? 
And so it says this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Those two verses are, are, are I, I think they're just packed with a lot of, of spiritual truth for us today. And, and so what I want to do today, I don't necessarily have like points as much as, I just want to go back through this passage of scripture and just break it apart and talk about each, each thing that Paul is giving us some very specific advice. And so the first thing that he says to Timothy is command those who are rich in this present world. Command those who are rich in this present world. There's a few times throughout scripture where there is specific advice to specific people. It doesn't apply to everybody. And this is one of those. Paul's saying, I'm not telling you to tell everybody this. I'm saying specifically people who are rich, people who are wealthy, this is advice that you should tell them. And so the question for us today is, does this, do these verses apply to us? Because if they don't apply, we can just pack up and we can go home today because there's nothing here for us. But if they do apply, then these are things that we ought to listen to and pay attention to. So the question is, am I rich? And if I had a show of hands right now and I asked you the question, are you rich? I don't think there would be many hands raised because the, uh, being rich is, is an elusive thing. It's something that's always a moving target. In fact, Gallup did a study and they, they asked this question to people. They, they asked, are you rich or, or what would make you rich? And consistently they found that, as you might guess, that uh, about double what somebody made is what they classified as rich. So it was always, it was always something you know, more than what they had. And that usually is the answer of what makes somebody rich. It's always more than what you have. So they ask people that made you know, $40,000 a year, what's, what's rich? What would you have to make for you to be rich? And they would say $80,000 a year. And then they ask people who made $80,000 a year, what would, what would rich look like for you? And they would say about you know, $150,000, $160,000 a year. And it was this consistent pattern that nobody ever thought that they were rich. They always thought that the person who made a little bit more than them was rich. And what happens is we'll live life in a way that uh, with rich always being a moving target and we'll never, we'll never actually realize when or if we cross that line. And so today, um, we could spend a lot of time on this, but let me just say it to you like this. Um, I, uh, let me just be introspective for just a moment. So I won't talk about you, I'll talk about me. Uh, but I have a room, we have a room in our house that's in the basement it has a bed, it has like lots of throw pillows on it, and my kids are not allowed to go in that room very often. In fact, if they go in there and mess it up, it's, it's not good. That room probably gets used maybe one or two times a year. Uh, we don't know who's going to be staying there next. We just, we just always want to be ready just in case somebody wants to stay the night. And many of you are kind of smiling. You probably have a room like that as well. Did you know most of the world would, would look at that and they'd say, what on earth are you talking about? Do you have a room that's not used 364 days out of the year? And they'd say, yeah, it's, it's a guest room. And they would think that that's crazy. Um, I, have a, I have a car. In fact, I have two cars uh, not only that, I have a little house that is just meant for my cars. There, it, it, it's, it's, it's just for the cars. And, and again, you'd tell most people in the world that, and they would say, are you kidding me? 
Like you are fat, nasty, loaded. Like that is rich. That's a rich problem to have. Or, or take, take it away from money for just a second. I don't know about you, but I get paid to be gone a certain number of weeks per year. I don't even show up at work and I still get paid to do that. Many of you probably the same way. Most people in the world would look at that and they'd say, I've never heard of such a thing. That doesn't even make sense. It does not compute how you could not work and still get paid for that. And I'm being a little facetious, but I'm, get, I'm driving at a point. I'm here to say that I, I really believe that Paul is writing to us. I believe that there's very few people, even in America, let alone this room, that Paul is not talking to. And we don't see it very obviously because in, until you go on like a missions trip and you see what poverty looks like, not American poverty, but you see what poverty looks like in Haiti or Tanzania, um, you truly don't really grasp how, how wealthy we are as a country. If you live on more than $2 per day, you're in the top 25% of wage earners in the entire world. $2 a day, that's, that's crazy to me that 75% of the world lives on less than that. If you make more than $45,000 per year as a family, total income, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. And we would look at that and say, man, 45,000, that's, man, you can't hardly do, I can't even pay my bills on that. And yet you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the entire world. Paul's writing to us. I'm just going to, I'll just, I'll move on from this point, but Paul is writing to us here, and so it's, it's, it's things that we ought to really pay attention to and listen to. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Just stop there for a second. Not to be arrogant. Paul knew that wealth was going to have a tendency to make people arrogant. See, Paul was rich. Before he came to faith in Christ, he was rich. He was wealthy. He knew that wealth would have a tendency to make people arrogant. And we've seen this play out. And there's something, there's something about wealth. There's something about having a lot of time, talent, and treasure. There's something about it that makes us think that as our wealth goes up, so does our IQ. Like our IQ goes up at the same rate that our wealth does. There are people that really think that the more you have and the bigger you're, you know, the more important you are and all of this, that you somehow are smarter than everybody else. And Paul's simply saying, don't do that. That's going to be a tendency. That is going to be a natural temptation of yours is going to be that you think that you, whether you act it out or not, that you think you're better than other people, that there's an arrogance to it. And I'll give you a quick story. You've seen something like this, I'm sure. I was, uh, a, a few years back, I, I was driving through Wisconsin and I stopped at a McDonald's and I get out and I, I, I go up to order my food and in front of me is a lady who looked like she had a lot of money. I, I'll just be honest with you. I mean, she, from the car she was driving, the way she was dressed, I, it just looked like, I mean, this lady has, has some means. And she gets to the front of the line and she orders a salad and then the 16-year-old the, the cashier hands her her salad, and he messed up the dressing. He got the wrong dressing. And she made sure that he and everybody in that Mac McDonald's knew that he screwed this up. And she just began to berate him. And just she was just saying, how can you screw this up? This is not that difficult to get the right dressing. I mean, she just flies off the handle. And who knows what's going on in, in her world at that time, but all I can say is, 
Paul, Paul's simply saying, don't do that. Don't be like that. Don't think that because you have resources, because you have, you know, because of your place in life, because of maybe a position you hold at work, that you think that you're somehow better than anyone else. Paul says, don't do that. Stay humble. Treat others with respect. Treat others with dignity. Paul seemed to understand that wealth and income and riches is going to have a tendency to make us arrogant. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. He says, don't put your hope in wealth. Put your hope in God. And time and time again throughout Scripture, there is this distinction made. There's this line drawn between wealth and and putting your hope in God, that, that we are going to have a tendency, we are going to have a choice to make. You can't have it both ways. You can't put your hope in both. And so the question for us today is where are we putting our hope? You know, we, we sang about it just a, a few minutes ago that all my hope is in you. And it's easy to sing that on a Sunday morning, but it's sometimes much more difficult to live that out when it comes to our resources. And so there's some questions. Uh, I came across some questions that I thought were really thought-provoking. And these are more questions for you to answer introspectively. Don't, you know, raise your hand or anything like that. But first question is this. Would you, be, would you have more anxiety if I told you today that there is no God or that there is no money in your bank account? Which one would cause more anxiety for you? Because if you put your hope in God, you tell me that God doesn't exist. And that, man, that... That messes with me. That, there's all sorts of anxiety with that. But if you're putting your hope in your wealth, well, yeah, that, you know, that, all, all those Christians, all those you know, well, churches that are going to go out of business, but I, I'm okay because I got this big stack of money. You know. But if you say that there's no money in my bank account, whoa, what are you talking about? I, I, I have lots of money in my bank account. I have all these different accounts. What, are you, what do you mean? Which one causes you more anxiety? Second question, do, does fear of not having enough impede your ability to give? Does fear of not having enough impede your ability to give? So the next time that there's an opportunity to meet a need, what goes through your head? Is it, oh man, I remember a time where we didn't have a whole lot and I just never want to get to that place again and so I'm going to make sure that we take care of us. Third question, do you have money in the bank but no peace in your heart? Do you have money in the bank but no peace in your heart? Some of the most peaceless, if that's a word, peaceless people in the entire world are sometimes the wealthiest. And we read stories about this over and over again of just celebrities and people that, man, they, they seem to have everything at their fingertips and yet they have no peace. It's because wealth has never equated to peace. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's like, they have nothing to do with each other. Fourth question. How hard is it for you to do the right thing when it's going to cost you financially? How hard is it for you to do the right thing when it's going to cost you financially? Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's your taxes. Maybe it's a, a business thing at, at work. It's a decision at work. I, I don't know what it could be, but just what is that for you? Paul says don't put your hope in wealth. It's so uncertain. Put your hope in God. And then he continues and he says, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Don't put your hope in wealth, put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything 
for our enjoyment. This is the part of the verse that we like. I'll just be honest with you. When I read that, I'm like, okay, good. Yes, it's okay. You kind of take a deep breath. And Paul is saying, you know what? Uh, it's, it, I'm not, I didn't ask you. I'm not saying take a vow of poverty. There's this, uh, there's this doctrine called asceticism that it, it actually it believes that the, the less you have, the more holy you can be. And so you should deprive yourself of everything to be more holy. And Paul's saying, no, that's not, that's not what I'm saying here. But all I'm saying is remember where it came from. Remember what the source of that wealth is. I'll give you an example. So last weekend, I actually went to the Appleton campus. I preached at the Appleton campus. And so my grandmother uh, goes to the Appleton campus. And she, after the sermon... And she was a pastor's wife, so she really, like, she's always, before the service, she's grilling me on what are you preaching about and what scripture are you using and all this. I'm like, Grandma, you know, let me, just tell me how I did afterwards. And so uh, she, uh, she's very critical about sermons in a, in a good, in a positive way, but she's very much like, I want to see the, the word of God rightly divided and all of this. And so after the sermon, uh, I'm kind of waiting for her to give her two cents and all that. And she said, you, you did a good job. And then she hands me a wad of cash. And I said, Grandma, no, 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 what are you, no. And she's like, no, I want you to have this. I'm like, no, please. Um, and it looked like it was fairly substantial. And I'm like, Grandma, please, don't, don't do that. And she said, Ryan, you are going to offend me if you do not take this money. And I'm like, and Amanda's right there. I'm, she's like, just take it, just take it. So I was like, okay, well, well thank you. She's like, you're welcome. And she said, I don't want you to feel guilty for that. I just want you to feel grateful for it. And I think it's so much, so often that's, that's how God approaches us. He says, I, I gave you that. Therefore, there's no need for you to feel guilty about it. That's not the point. But be grateful for it. Remember where it came from. And so often I think uh, the reason why so often we're not good at being rich, you know, we're not good at stewarding this because we simply forget where it came from. We forget to say thank you for where it came from. Guilt is not a productive emotion when it comes to finances, but gratefulness is extremely productive. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God who richly provides for us everything for our enjoyment. And then he gets to verse 18 and he gets extremely practical and he just kind of says, Here, here's what I'm gonna challenge you with. He says to Timothy, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. Now Paul is not just talking about money. He branches out a bit. He says it's more than just what you do with your money. It's, it's, it's about how you live your life. It's about how you leverage your time and your talent. It's about how, it's the total package. It's how you leverage your life for the good of others. Are you leveraging the resources you have for the benefit of other people? And I really believe that this is where we find purpose in life. I believe it's, it's, it's when we leverage the things that, we, that God has blessed us with for the good of other people. I believe that's when we f truly find purpose. And this is something that's supported all throughout scripture. Um, but it's also something that even um, secular psychologists have come to realize that that is the way we are hardwired. 
Like they even point to that and they say that this is the way the human was, was built, that there's something inside of us that has a desire to meet other people's needs. And when, we're, when we do that, we're living at kind of the highest level that we were created to live at. In 1943, there was a study done by a, a psychologist named Abraham Maslow. He came up with something called the hierarchy of needs. You maybe have heard of this before. And I'll give you the really quick version of it. But he said there's, there's eight basic needs that every human has. And imagine them like a pyramid that they build upon each other. You can't go to the next level unless you have this level met. And he first said there's physical needs. There's air, food, water, sleep. These are just the most fundamental needs. And then on top of that, there's safety needs. There's protection from the elements, security, laws, order. We have this need for safety. And then on top of that, there's love needs. There's belonging, affection, friendship. And he concluded that about 50% of people get to this level. So 50% of people in the world, they're just struggling through these first three needs. And he said you go beyond that, you go to esteem needs. That's the need to be recognized, the need to be complimented. Esteem needs. And then on top of that, it's cognitive needs. This, this thirst for knowledge and wisdom, that's why people love watching the Discovery Channel and Shark Week. It's like I, just random knowledge that I'm probably never going to use. But we, we have this thirst for learning more. That's this cognitive need. And then on top of that, there's aesthetic needs. Beauty, nature. That's why we, you know, we decorate our Christmas trees. You know, that's, that's kind of a ridiculous thing. But, when, but it's this aesthetic Need. That's why we landscape around our house. That's why we put, you know, try to make our grass look nice. Hopefully you try to make your grass look nice because I love a nice looking lawn. Um, aesthetic needs. That's why Instagram is, I, I believe that's why it's so popular is that we just love, we're very visual people, these aesthetic needs. And then on top of that, there's self-actualization needs. And this is when you realize why you were made this is when you realize that you kind of reach your full potential. And, and Abraham Maslow concluded that only about 2% of people ever make it to that level. And when he first did the study, it stopped there. He thought that that was the pinnacle of living. But as years passed, they revisited the study and they came back and they realized, you know what, there's another need. There's something that goes beyond self-actualization needs. And he, he, he created a new category called transcendence needs. And transcendence needs is when you realize your purpose in, in the self-actualization, but then you leverage that purpose for the good of other people, that it lives beyond you. And Abraham Maslow determined that that is the, the, the pinnacle of existence, that's the pinnacle of human living, is to reach that transcendence needs. And he said very few people will get to that point. And I believe what Paul is saying is that is a, it supports the same exact thing. He's saying when we leverage what God has given us for the good of others, we're living life at the highest level possible. That's what we were really created to do. And when we do that well, we're going to be able to answer that second question of the test very well. We're going to be able to look at God and say, man, I, again, I'm not perfect. I, I made mistakes, but I tried really hard to leverage my life so that I left something behind to leverage my life for the good of others. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. And then he concludes with this. He says, and to be generous and willing to share. 
to be generous and willing to share. The last thing Paul says is that we should be generous. And I, I think it's become obvious by now, but uh, uh, that he's driving home this point of just be generous. Be willing to share. And he, he's, he's saying, I'm not just talking to everyone here, though. I'm not saying be generous the way the world sees generosity. Be generous in a way that is more than just that. See, the world sees generosity. At this time of year, you're going to see the, the Salvation Army kettles. And, and there's nothing bad about this, but the, the world will see generosity as throwing a dollar in there. Or you go to, you know, Firehouse Subs and they ask you, do you want to round up your order, you know, to, for first responders? And yes, and that's generosity. Or there's somebody who's homeless that needs some money and you give them $5. Wow, that's, that's generous. That's what the world sees as generosity. But Paul says it, it's much deeper than that. It's much different than that. In fact, Paul came from a Jewish background. And in Jewish culture, there was something called a birthright. And you've read about it in the Old Testament, I'm sure. There's a story of Jacob and Esau. You probably remember Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. And it, it, there, it, there's this birthright. Birthright was simply uh, your inheritance. And what would happen is that the oldest son would get double what all the other kids would get. And I always read that in, in different portions. I'm like, man, that's kind of unfair. Like, that just seems like, because maybe it's because I'm the third child, but I am the baby of the family. Uh, and Amanda is too. So I'm like, man, thank God we're not living in those days because neither one of us would get a whole, you know. But that's not really what's going on there. It's not just simply that the oldest son wins the lottery. That's kind of how I viewed it. And man, they guess they're just lucky to be the firstborn. And I heard a preacher say it like this. He said, the birthright was much deeper than that. The birthright meant that that oldest son was now responsible to be the primary caregiver to the rest of the family now that the father is gone. And that if anybody in the family fell upon a hard time and they needed somebody to take care of them, they needed somebody to resource them, it was that first son's responsibility to take care of them. And I think... This is, how, this is how God views generosity. Not as a, you know, hey, give five bucks here, whatever. He sees it as a responsibility, that, it's, that we have a responsibility to those who might not be able to take care of themselves. And I sometimes wonder, maybe I'm going on a limb here a little bit, but America, are we that firstborn child? Not because we're in chronological order or anything like that, but God has blessed this country. God has blessed us in a way that few countries have ever been blessed, if any. I mean, it is unbelievable, the wealth in America. And we look at that, and we should, it, should, it should provoke us to feel a great sense of responsibility to the rest of the world. This is why I love taking teams on missions trips. And I look across the room, there's some people in the room today that I know you've been on a missions trip with me before. I, I love specifically going on uh, missions trips that I know that there will be a feeding program involved. A Convoy of Hope is an example. Most, most of their trips, depending on the country, you're going to have a chance to feed children. It is the highlight of every trip I've been on uh, with Convoy. And I'm, I'm anticipating it the entire time because I know that there will be grown men that will be asked if they want to feed children. This is how it goes. It, there's a big pot over an open flame and there's just gallons of this, this, it's like a rice bean mixture that has a lot of vitamins in it, ton of protein, 
um, very nourishing. And you'll dip a ladle into that pot and you'll have a plate and you put it on that plate. And then when you look up for that first time, you look eyes to eyes with a seven-year-old. It is the most humbling moment you will ever experience. And every time I talk to, I've seen grown men just cry and cry after that, just trying to hold it together. I've seen grown men say, I can't do it anymore. I, I, like, I just need a break. I'm overwhelmed. And we talk about it later, whether it's on the bus ride you know, or whatever. And every time, it, it's not this sense of pity. That's not what they're feeling. It's not this sense of guilt for the way, you know, man, Matt, I have it so good. It's not that. It's this enormous sense of responsibility. And the verse in, in Luke chapter 12 that says, to whom much is given, much is required, has a completely different meaning now. And they finally, it's like, man, it finally clicks. That's why I've been blessed. That's the reason that I am that firstborn child that now has a responsibility to those who might not be able to take care of themselves. It's not guilt, it's not pity, it's, it's responsibility. And so today, the question I'd ask you is, do you feel that responsibility? When's the last time that you felt that? When's the last time you put yourself in a position to feel that? Maybe it's going on a missions trip. Maybe it's going to Life Center and, and, and just serving other people. What, I don't know what that means, but all I know is I can't go very long without feeling that or I get calloused. I forget. I'm kind of like, I, I just revert back to it's, it's, it's about me and my life. Paul simply encourages Timothy. He says, just command them to be good, to, to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. When we do that, we're gonna be able to answer that second question in heaven. We're gonna be able to answer that well. So I wanna close with a, a verse in Proverbs chapter three, verses 27 and 28. It's not gonna be on the screens. I close with this. It says this, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you then when you already have it with you. Lord God, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you that you have been, for whatever reason, you've been incredibly generous to us, to this country. And God, I pray that it would well up inside of us an incredible responsibility to others, God. I just, I, I pray that we would never be a church that becomes inward focused, that we would never become Christian, Christians who become inward focused, but that we would live our life in a way that when we get to heaven, that we'll be able to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, that we would be able to represent you well here on earth, and that there's a lot of people that are going to be able to answer that first question well, because we were able to answer the second question well. God, I pray that we would never become inward focused. We would never become stingy, that we would always live palms up, that we would always say, God, it's just as you give it, you can take it away at any moment, that we would not put our hope in wealth or things 
or ability that we would put our hope in you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.